the old pilot's plain tales, written in the blood of the innocent. This is one of the most heart-rending stories that I can recall. Through incompetence, cost-cutting, collusion and negligence from their government, the manufacturer and their airline, a blameless crew on Alaska 261 fought to keep their aircraft airborne. It was the turn of the 21st century, and although Alaska Airlines had a long history that stretched back to 1932, when they started with the Stinton float plane carrying just three passengers a time out of Anchorage, times were hard. They had fought their way out of severe financial troubles in the 70s, made worse by the loss of 111 passengers in a Boeing 727 that crashed on approach. At the time, the worst single plane crash in US history. Again, they struggled after deregulation in the 80s. When Southwest came on the scene in 1993, Alaska faced yet more competition and there was a continual drive to keep costs down. In efforts to reduce their maintenance load, Alaska had applied to the FAA to reduce the frequency of a particular check on its fleet of MD-80s. The check involved getting up to the top of the fin, some 20 feet high, and gaining access to a special nut and screw. The large nut, which appropriately enough for our show was called the Acme nut, was fixed in position inside the fin. There was a large and long threaded rod located inside the nut that ran up to a pair of electric motors attached to the bottom of the moving tailplane, sometimes referred to in America as the horizontal stabilizer, that sat on top of the fin. The principle was simple enough. If the motor was activated, it turned the screw, which rotated inside the fixed nut, moving the motor assembly and with it, the front of the hinged tailplane, up or down, depending on which direction it was turned. The MD-80 Mad Dog uses conventional elevators, albeit they are actually moved by tabs, connected by cables to the flight controls, which create an aerodynamic force that flies the elevator into position. The elevators are attached to the rear of the tailplane to control the aircraft in pitch, but the pilots, or the autopilot, can move the angle of the whole tailplane several degrees up or down using the electric motors to trim the aircraft out. This trim system is, however, the only device holding the tailplane in the correct position. It is a primary system, and there is no backup. However, since it was such a safety-critical component, the manufacturer had taken pains to ensure that it was robustly constructed. The Acme nut was cast in an aluminium-bronze alloy, whilst the screw was made of case-hardened steel. It was also designed with several fail-safe features. If the nut fractured, a torque tube within the screw could support it. If the torque tube failed, the screw and nut were strong enough to hold. If 90% of the screw and nut threads failed, the remaining 10% would prevent total failure. 
It was also designed with a double thread spiral, so if one entire thread stripped, the other could take the load. However, unlike some other aircraft with a similar system, such as the DC-8, which had two independent jackscrew assemblies, the DC-9, MD-80 and Boeing 717 series all employed a single jackscrew. When it first came into service, the trim system was supposed to last 30,000 hours without a check. However, it was soon discovered that on both the DC-8 and DC-9 systems, the wear rate was considerably higher than expected. As a result, an inspection and lubrication schedule was created and a special tool designed that could be attached to the end of the screw shaft to measure the play within the screw and therefore the amount of wear on the threads. Alaska decided to reduce their dependency on expensive manufacturers' tools by making its own version of the end-play measuring tool, and in addition, it applied to the FAA to reduce the frequency of the checks. With the agreement of the manufacturer and the FAA, the frequency was reduced from 3,600 hours to 5,000 hours. Then the check went to a time period frequency of 26 months, which roughly meant every 6,400 hours. Finally, at the time of Flight 261, the period had become every 30 months or so, around 9,550 hours. This final reduction in check time was made after Alaska presented a data package on the wear of five of their aircraft out of a fleet of 40. We ought to take a little look at the aircraft that performed Flight 261 on that fateful day, the 31st of January 2000. The airframe was November 963 Alpha Sierra, and it had been to Oakland for its last major maintenance sea check just over two years earlier. This C-check included an end-play check of the trim jack assembly. The day shift mechanic and his inspector noted in the maintenance record that the horizontal stab acme screw and nut had maximum allowable end-play limit, 0.040 of an inch, that's four thousandths of an inch. The work record showed an action was now required to replace the nut and perform a maintenance routine. The following swing shift supervisor also signed off on the planned action. What followed were several days of notes in the engineering records of the attempts made to rectify the fault that had been noted. The notes included such comments as, Get a copy of the EO, engineering order, and see what we need to do and order. Lube and treat complied with, still parts to order. Continuing parts ordering, and in brackets the word PANIC in capitals. Further on it read, Tuesday departure looks doubtful. Then a lead mechanic wrote, Redo Acme screw check and confirm problem. Finally, on the day the aircraft was scheduled to return to the line, a different mechanic and inspector scored out 
the original requirement to replace the worn components and wrote in its place, rechecked Acme screw and nut end play per work card, found end play to be within limits. The fault with this primary, vital component of the aircraft had somehow disappeared, and the fault was closed off with no work done. There might have been one last chance to put the genie back in the bottle. The jack screw was supposed to be inspected and lubricated a mere four months before Flight 261, while in San Francisco. However, a task that was supposed to take at least four hours was completed in a quarter of that time, and in the opinion of the NTSB, inadequately. The dice had rolled a final time. Captain Ted Thompson, with his first officer Bill Tensky, picked up their aircraft at Puerto Vallarta, bound for Seattle, with an intermediate stop in San Francisco. They were both in their fifties and considered experienced and capable. The aircraft landed from its previous flight without any faults. Ted and Bill took off on what was expected to be just another working day. Everything appeared normal until around 29,000 feet when the crew noticed a trim annunciator warning light. The trim had jammed, but since the autopilot had been flying, they hadn't noticed it earlier. They took out the autopilot and immediately found a considerable out-of-trim condition that needed about 30 pounds of force on the controls to keep the aircraft level. By this time, they were over the ocean, nearly a beam Los Angeles, and Ted Thompson was in contact with his maintenance and operation departments at SeaTac and LAX. Neither the crew nor company maintenance could determine the cause of the jam, and repeated attempts to overcome it with the primary and secondary motors proved fruitless. Ted knew that power was going to the motors, as he could see the load on his AC electric spike when he tried to activate them. Alaska dispatch personnel were very keen that the aircraft continue on to its destination to reduce disruption to the schedule, and they tried hard to influence the captain, but ultimately Ted Thompson chose to divert to LAX. They continued to try and move the trim motors, until at 1609 it finally unjammed, with almost deadly consequences. The trim system moves rapidly to an extreme nose-down position, forcing the aircraft into a near-vertical dive. "'What are you doing?' said Bill. "'It clicked off,' Ted replied. "'It got worse. Give me high-pressure pumps. Help me back. Help me back!' They shouted on the radio. "'Center Alaska 261, we are uh, in a dive here. Yeah, we're out of 26,000 feet.' We are in a vertical dive, not a dive yet, but uh, we've lost vertical control of our airplane. Only with a massive force on the controls of around 140 pounds did they manage to level the aircraft off some 10,000 feet lower. They desperately tried to work the problem and decided to get lower and then configure the aircraft for landing to see if they could keep control. This they did deliberately over the water, rather than risk people on the ground. 
As they tried to configure the aircraft for landing, there was an extremely loud noise on the cockpit voice recorder as the overstrained jack screw assembly failed completely. The crew put out an unheard mayday. In the ensuing vertical dive, the pilots tried desperately to regain control of their crippled aircraft by inverting it. Push, push, push blue side up. Okay, right rudder, right rudder. Are we flying? Again and again they fought the controls until the end. Other aircraft kept LA Center advised. Hi, Zero Delta X-ray. That plane has just started to do a big, huge plunge. A big, huge plunge. Uh, thank you. Skywest 5154. The MD-80 is uh, one becoming about 2 o'clock, about 10 miles. Now, another pilot reports he's really looking pretty bad. They're heading to your right. Do you see him? Yes, sir. Uh, I concur. He is uh, definitely in a nose-down uh, position descending quite rapidly. Okay, very good. Keep your eye on him. Alaska 261, are you here with us yet, sir? And he's just hit the water. Due to the severity of the impact, nobody survived. Indeed, very few bodies were found intact. The crash killed 83 passengers, three cabin crew, and two pilots. Using fishing trawlers, about 85% of the aircraft was recovered, including the horizontal stabilizer trim system. The jack screw was found with metal filaments wrapped around it, these were determined to have come from the Acme nut. 90% of the nut's thread had been stripped on the previous flight and the rest had failed over the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Los Angeles. When the threads failed, the screw slipped until it reached the end stop, but this was never designed to hold the sort of aerodynamic loads being placed on it and it very soon failed. At that point, the tailplane was forced further up, until it was held for a short while by the fin housing, but eventually even this failed. The aircraft, already in a dire situation, was pitched down into a dive from which it was impossible to recover. The NTSB report on the accident gave a damning analysis of the conduct of various organisations, but particularly the airline and the FAA. The reason for the failure of the Acme nut was a combination of poor lubrication, it was found to be dry and the grease inside the nut was so old and caked, it obviously not been properly maintained for a long time. The increase in the inspection period and the inadequacy of the replacement measuring tool that the airline replicated. The board faulted the FAA for accepting the changes. A special inspection conducted by the NTSB in April 2000 of Alaska Airlines uncovered widespread significant deficiencies that the FAA should have uncovered earlier. The investigation concluded that FAA surveillance of Alaska Airlines had been deficient for at least several years. One mechanic who worked on the accident aircraft on its last sea check stated, I had never come across any jack screw that was worn to that extent. 
A detailed analysis of Alaska's maintenance organization and procedures came up with pages of discrepancies and errors. A summary stated that procedures were not being followed, controls were not effective, authority and responsibility not defined, and quality assurance ineffective. After more undercover work, a maintenance supervisor had his license revoked for deliberately falsifying records, and the FAA proposed a $211,000 civil penalty against Alaska for operating a damaged aircraft on 47 flights without making required logbook entries. The NTSB Administrative Court harshly criticized the airline for its maintenance practices, calling them illogical and incredible. The board also criticized the design of the aircraft, since the Acme nut failed, it showed that certain wear mechanisms could affect both threads and it could not provide a fail-safe condition. Progressive failures should be easy to see and there should have been a fail-safe mechanism to prevent the effects of a total Acme nut loss. They also stated that pilots should be instructed that for flight system faults they should not attempt procedures beyond those in the checklist. NTSB board member John J. Goglia's statement for the final report read, This is a maintenance accident. Alaska Airlines' maintenance and inspection of its horizontal stabilizer activation system was poorly conceived and woefully executed. The failure was compounded by poor oversight. Had any of the managers, mechanics, inspectors, supervisors or FAA overseers whose job it was to protect this mechanism done their job conscientiously, this accident would not have happened. The NTSB has made several specific maintenance recommendations, some already accomplished, that will, if followed, prevent the reoccurrence of this particular accident. But maintenance, poorly done, will find a way to bite somewhere else. For their actions during the emergency, Captain Thompson and First Officer Tansky were both awarded the Airline Pilots Association Gold Medal for Heroism, the only time this award has been given posthumously. Music by bensounds.com